Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first program in our new Lavender series produced by the Commonwealth Club in partnership with San Francisco Pride. Just to let you know, the Commonwealth Club, which produces about 500 programs a year, has stopped doing in-person programs during this pandemic and has switched completely to online programs like this one. Most of these programs are presented free, so the club welcomes most donations, the registration process to support our production costs. You can find the complete list of upcoming programs at commonwealthclub.org online. I am Carolyn Weisinger. I am the president of San Francisco Pride, and I am so excited to have all these amazing folks today. Today officially starts for us Pride season, so happy Pride to all of you. This is our Lavender Talk series. We're going to be having a series of programs where we're talking about different issues within our San Francisco Pride community. So every second Thursday, you can look forward to seeing us here on the Commonwealth Club. I am not going to introduce our panelists. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I will tell you that they are important leaders who we've had over the last 50 years in San Francisco Pride history. I am so happy to have you. One of the first things that I wanted to do for this set of programs, I am a president with no pride this year. I do not have a pride festival. So I thought that I would get together former presidents and executive directors to talk about their experience with San Francisco Pride. So the first person that we have on the panel is Ken Jones. Ken, please tell us what your position was at Pride and what years were you at Pride? I was with Pride in 1980. So I think I have a very different uh, picture of uh, of this thing that we call Pride. I remember when our annual budget was $286,000. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a long history. I came on as the co-chair of outreach. The 80, 81, 82 committees were very focused on our role as community builders and community organizers. And so in those 80s, it was very important to us to establish in our bylaws things like parity goals, where we want to have as many women over the age of 40, under the age of 40, with children, without, those differently abled. We wanted to make sure that everyone that made up our community had the opportunity to participate in an open, candid, transparent, and tiring process. <laughs> what I've learned from that experience is you get out of it what you put into it, and our whole hearts were into it. We didn't have a parade headquarters. We met in each other's homes. We shared the evening meals together. We raised each other's kids together. And so there was a sense of trust and respect that we had for each other that made consensus almost a natural process for us. But I'll talk more about that later. I'm sure I've overspoken my time. I cannot wait to hear all of those stories. <laughs> I'm going to go on to our next panelist, Teddy Bosham Worthington. What years were you with Pride and what role did you play? Hi, everyone on, on YouTube and Facebook, and thank you for having me um, on the show today. Um, I uh, served as the first executive director of Pride from the years 1997 um, through to the very beginning 
um, of 2006. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Teddy. Jacqueline, Bishop, and Mo. what years were you with Pride and what positions did you hold? I know you held a, a couple of them. Mo never got to sit at the table, unfortunately, but I um, held the treasurer role for the first two years that I sat on the board, and I served as president, which was just this last cycle, Um, so I'm no longer sitting on the board, and Ken, I I feel you. We love each other when we sit on the board. Even when we have arguments, we still love each other, and I miss being with all of you all the time, but you'll always be in my heart uh, forever. Yeah. Thank you, Jacqueline and Michelle, who is just a panelist today, everyone. She's just a panelist. <laughs> <laughs> what years did you serve at Pride and what positions did you hold? Well, I'm excited to be a panelist today and super honored to be a part of this, uh, this, this discussion with this esteemed panel, by the way. Um, I uh, actually, I should dial all the way back to 2006 when I started volunteering for the Pride Parade webcast. And so we know that that's evolved now into an actual broadcast slash webcast and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, But officially, I served as a board member starting in the year 2014 and then served as board president from 2015 to 2017, I think-ish. So eight, yes, right? 18. 18? It was 18, Michelle. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Those are the golden years. That's the only reason why I can't get it right. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead into the questions. First, I do want to thank some of the folks who helped make this program possible. If I could bring up my list of them. Um, Kaiser Permanente and Heiser Bush are amazing broadcast partners, KPIX and KBCW, Gilead, Hilton Union Square, Comcast, Genentech, the GLBT Historical Society, and Bank of the West. Thank you all so much for your support of this broadcast and of the organization. So I'm going to go ahead into our first set of questions, and I'm going to ask Ken Jones, you talked about how you were with the organization back in the 80s. And I know that was still some 10 years past when the, the festival first started. But we know historically what we've been told were the thoughts and the reasons why the, the organization came to be. But what were some of the feelings of the original committees? What were some of your personal reasons why you felt that Pride was something that needed to be continuously celebrated every year? In the 80s in San Francisco, there was a... Um... Well, this is two years after Harvey Milk had been elected. Things were changing in the city, especially around politics. Um, there, until this moment, the real movers and shakers in our community have been the San Francisco Tavern Guild. They raised the millions of dollars with events uh, to support LGBT. And in the 80s, we kind of challenged that system and said, you know, it's not all about the pretty boys on the stage dancing in the nude. There's a little bit more to our movement. And this was a difficult discussion because everyone likes to see the little boys with nothing dancing. But for us, we had a serious commitment to also make it an educational event. If we're going to gather people and the whole world is looking at us, let's be sure that we're a barometer of this thing that we call community. Uh, In the 80s, our parade quickly changed at the onset of AIDS. 
it quickly changed from the party to initially it was a kind of a shock and a fear and a panic, somewhat of what we're experiencing now with COVID. Um, we were lost, but we marched. Um, I, Michelle, I hope that we will find someone who would like to go back at the beginning of the parade, look at all the footage from the aid service organizations, and watch our development as a group of people who came together in fear, quickly moved to mobilize themselves, quickly moved to begin to take responsibility for how we experience our here and now, and to make sure that we were inclusive of everyone. Amen. Yes. Thank you so much, Ken, which leads me to and another. We got, let me, I, I don't want to let go of that tavern guild because this was a big fight for us. It was a major change of really the Harvey Milk people and the A-gays, the gay establishment, who really did not want to see pride survive. Mm. So part of the passion I feel every time I feel the parade is under attack is we've been through a hell as an organization. We have had some major fights with key players who primary goal in life was to make sure we failed. And through that, we survived. And that's where my real pride kind of kicks in. And it's like, keep going, keep growing. Keep relevant and meaningful in this changing world. Make sure that we all have the opportunity to ride that freedom train. And that actually brings us into a good question because I know, Teddy, you were actually with the organization at a time when we, we went from where we were fighting to get corporations to see us as valuable enough to support to change into a real festival, a real, a real huge celebration. And you did so much at the organization that we have a whole award that we dedicate in your honor every year. So what were some of the successes of your tenure at Pride? And what was that like when we started to finally see organizations wanting to actually support the the, the agency? Thanks for, thanks for the question. Um, you know, I, I, I believe that Pride goes in cycles. And so um, there, 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 there are times when, it, it really kind of gels around the central message, message of inclusion. And then, and then times when other things kind of get in the way. Um, and uh, when I think about those, those 10 years, I, I was kind of in a, um, I haven't really spoken about this before, but when I, when I arrived, I came from London and I came to San Francisco and, um, and Ken mentioned that, that the budget in the eighties was 286,000, um, I, I came and the event had just made a loss of half a million dollars. And that was my very first board meeting with Pride. It's like, oh, by the way, and and I, I had all these great ideas and plans. And, and, and I thought, well, they just go to the side for this next year because if it doesn't have a dollar sign on it, don't bother me with it because this is a life-threatening deficit for the organization. Um, and so, um, what, what happened was I was, I was able to attract some, you know, uh, corporate support. And, but one of the very first things that, that I did, and, and maybe we'll touch on this, I expect a question on this later, but 
one of one of the first things that I I, I did was I put a very simple uh, clause in all of our parade agreements and vendor contracts that the the entrant had to um, believe in and subscribe to the mission of the organization. hadn't For some reason, it hadn't been there before, um, and and so. Um, what that kind of led to was um, some people in different different companies who who really were in the in the vanguard in those days of LGBT inclusion in the workplace uh, and advocacy, and those those were the real heroes and the real cheerleaders that we needed in order to get the support uh, that we did. And uh, fortunately, that deficit, we, made, we were able to retire in a year. And then we really set about the central business of Pride, which is, as, as Ken said, is about building community, community between ourselves on the board, but more, uh, more, more of, you know, transmitting what, what we had. Um, and um, uh, so we, you know, the thing that, that I look back on with the most gratitude in that period that I was privileged to, to serve the organization was how the, the event kind of evolved as Ken was saying from um, some of the more kind of um, archetypal kind of boys dancing on stage to a real multicultural festival and all the different venues that, that are still there today that got added during that period. And what an amazing experience that was. And we took a lot of heat for it. You all right. You if you have if you're if you're if you're a doer, you always take heat, and and we did, and and you know we were not we, laughing at that. <laughs> Go ahead. We 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 were glad to take the heat for something like that. I mean, what what higher calling can there be? Thank you, you for the question. You have inspired me, Teddy. Be glad to take the heat. What other calling could there be? I And I think that Fred, our current executive director, shout out to Fred Lopez, um, our first year director. I'm sure he would share your sentiment about how you came into the organization and you had this big thing plopped right in the middle when you were just trying to get your footing. So I, I can definitely see the connection there, which kind of leads me over to, I'm going to go to Michelle, because Michelle, I know you actually led the organization through a similar a similar time where we were trying to make sure that the organization basically stayed, that there was still a pride. What was that like for you, and what what was some what were some of the things that helped you push along through that difficult period? Wow, um, thank you again for the question, and it's been great to hear from Ken and Teddy, uh, and to feel supported that even though I kind of look at the 2014 through the 2018 years as some of the most challenging moments of of my life, um, which is very you know short. I don't want to make it seem like <laughs> I've done oh all these great, amazing things. Um, but, you know, we, I, I went into the role and started serving, I think, at a very pivotal moment in San Francisco Pride's history. And a lot of it had to do with internal reflection of ourselves and the relationships that we have with each other. And but I, and I really want to stress this. I mean, we're a beautiful community, but we're also a very diverse and complex community. So, you know, aside from looking at us as a whole through sexual orientation or gender identity, we still have a difference in opinions about politics, about class, about ethnicity. 
um, and all these things that intersect. And so what I mean by that is, you know, the, the, the organization, uh, this is through the, the Chelsea Manning years, which we gave an award out to Chelsea Manning and, and uh, it was controversial. Lots of people had d- different opinions about um, Chelsea Manning. And it, some may feel as a whistleblower, some may feel, you know, otherwise. Um, but there was a whole change of board members and also a new executive director, George Ridgely. So we are all feeling, you know, each other out. Uh, and this is a year after federal marriage equality. So lots in our community were definitely you know, a little, I think, I think people were breathing a, a, a fresh breath of air, meaning we had worked so many years, decades to fight for marriage equality and finally got it. But what was happening was there a, a need a need to reprioritize the voices of the most marginalized and most vulnerable of our community. So you started to see, you know, folks in the LGBTQ community start leading very different movements, such as Black Lives Matter, um, transgender rights, you know. And so we had this, this moment in our history where we really had to think about that reprioritization of those voices how do you fold that into a uh, movement that is moving into uh, mainstream, if you will? You know, we've got marriage equality. Many of us are working for big corporations. I love this question that I got one time from someone from the media where they were like, oh, so, you know, San Francisco Pride, like how many tech companies march in your parade? How many of these techies like are part of the LGBTQ celebration? And I laughed at that because I was like, so are tech people like robots? Um, can they not be LGBTQ? Can they, uh, can they be LGBTQ in our celebration? And so it goes back to that very challenging, you know, um, also question of also inclusivity. At some point, inclusivity means exclusivity, but also how do you address the, you know, again, the intersectionality of, of our issues. Uh, and uh, that's leading up to, the fear that we constantly feel as LGBTQ people. Um, Ken had talked about this, but what I mean by that is, you, you know, we we also went through the year that the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. And that was during the month of Pride and with two weeks left to go before our celebration, you know, many people uh, in cities, elected leaders, law enforcement, uh, homeland security, you know, had questions about, is it safe to do this? You, as an LGBTQ person, like, have to ask yourself, you know, like, what's more, what's, what's important to you, knowing that silence and invisibility equals death for all of us, for all of us in our community. And what is courage? What is bravery? What is, what is the meaning of doing something like Pride Celebration? And uh, how important it is for so many of our youths to, to celebrate Pride. Um and so by the, by the time that I left, you know, I, uh, took a break from the, 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 the pride movement. Uh, I, I, I realized that, you know, leading the organization through an extremely vulnerable and changing moment was also such a huge blessing because although at some point we thought that we wouldn't be able to think of care for our community, the meaning of creating different ways in which we can be visible is our survival. So I'll stop there. I obviously I still have some emotions to work out <laughs> yeah. about, you know, serving for pride, but boy, it, it truly was pretty challenging. 
Someone once told me, they said that when you stop being president of pride, you end up doing like a year of reflection or something. Like it's like this whole thing. So, I mean, you're still working that out and that, which leads us to, it's a I decade call it, reflection, a decade of a reflection. Decade. <laughs> <laughs> at, at oh my gosh. Decade. Do I have a decade to give? Oh my goodness. <laughs> What'd you say, Teddy? At least. At least a day. good. I mean, Kim was the president back in the eighties, <laughs> which leads us to my immediate. I call her my immediate past president, Jacqueline Bishop. So we, we go from we're in the eighties where we're really marching, we're working through, we're, you know, living through, surviving through, being resilient through the AIDS crisis. We come into ninety seven when we finally start being recognized for a lot of the organizations who are a lot of corporations who actually are recognize the mission and the purpose and the importance of supporting pride. We come into 2014 where pride is kind of grappling with a lot of different things. We're grappling with how different a lot of our ideas, our politics are. And then we come into 2019 and whoa, baby, we had a year in 2019. Um, And I want to ask Jacqueline, what was that like actually for you as the president leading through a time where, you know, we're seeing, we have folks who are still our marginalized community, are still our POC community, our trans brothers and sisters, our black brothers and sisters who are marching for freedom and liberation. And, you know, pride is still a a place where we're celebrating, but we're also being visible, making all these folks visible. What is it like being the president, having to hold all those things together and kind of going through the things that we went through as a board in that year? I mean, it's a lot because <laughs> it's just a lot. I think my personal, um, the glasses that I had on whenever I was serving was how do we represent everybody? And sometimes, like you said, with inclusion, sometimes inclusion therefore means exclusion of other people. And we just can't have that. Our celebration is massive. There's a place for everyone. And Some people just cannot get behind that if A and Z are opposite, that they can exist together. So really, I just tried to stand my ground on that, is that there's a place for everyone. We need to be inclusive. We need to have everyone here um, because that's where we originated from, that LGBT people need to be here at the table. We need to be seen and heard, even if we're different. So no matter how different everyone is, they need to be there. And that's just never going to be an easy task to hold opposites up together. And in our current environment now and over the past uh, few years, we've been very polarized and binary even. And so it just makes it even more challenging to hold diversity and compassion in the same space. But I think we somehow managed to do it. Awesome. I want to first acknowledge one of our sponsors. I want to thank Cruz for making this panel possible. And we have a note from other another past president, Gary Virginia, who says, ha ha ha, I'm still in recovery. And I was the president from 2014, 2015, and the vice president in 2016. I'm never going to get over being president. Thanks a lot, guys. That's That's really awesome. <laughs> and one thing I know that all of you can appreciate you know, we're in May, even with a virtual pride, we're doing so much work trying to still put together a great um, celebration for everyone that we can enjoy separate but together. So you know, then that my brain is fried. So I've been having a hard time writing these questions because I can't, I mean, there's too many things going on. 
fortunately, we have questions from the audience. So question from the audience, looking back on your time running SF Pride, is there anything you wish you did differently? I'm going to give that first to Teddy. Is there anything that you wish you did differently running SF Pride? Wow. Um, You know, I've thought about that question often in my reflection. It's like, would I have done anything differently? Um, And I haven't come up with anything yet. Um, You know, I I often think about the fact of, you know, how, how those years were a real kind of transition in terms of the way in which the organization was supported from the outside. And would I have done anything differently there? Uh, Would I have gone slower? Would I have gone faster? Um, But um, we always, you know, as a, it it wasn't, you know, it's it's never a one-man show. It's it's the board and the executive. And we were all very clear about what we were doing and why. And I really love and trust the people that I was privileged to serve with. And, you know, I think I think no one of us knows better than all of us. And those decisions we always took together. Um, so not yet. <laughs> OK, uh, but I'm still reflecting. You're still reflecting almost 10 years later. <laughs> I'm going to slingshot that question over to Jacqueline. Is there anything that you would have done differently? You know, I can't say that I have any regrets, so I'm not, you know, hurting myself or not doing anything differently. But if I had the choice to do anything differently, I maybe would have spoke less. Like, I don't think I wasn't listening. And I don't think necessarily speaking less makes you listen more. But I think that when you serve a role that has a title, people make a lot of assumptions about what you do, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes just being extremely concise and very limited helps you amplify that you're here for one thing like Teddy like you said we are clear on what we're here for so sometimes maybe I had ideas and I could spew them out and we can go in different directions so maybe if I could have done things differently I would have been much more limited in the words that I spoke and just hammered on those because when you're everywhere you're nowhere and if we're trying to stick up for everyone we really need to be assertive and clear okay I have a very specific question for Brother Ken Jones. I have the distinction of being only the third African-American president of San Francisco Pride. Shout out to Lisa Williams, who is the second African-American president of SF Pride. But the first African-American president of SF Pride was Ken Jones. And I would love to hear what what you're feeling in an organization that globally, a lot of people don't see it as an organization that represents Black folks. So what was your feeling going all the way back in the 80s being an African-American man at the, the head of this organization? The funny thing is, in the 80s, I think we were, at least I know I was, just so thrilled to find out that I was not the only gay person on earth. In those 80s, I don't think that race was as much a factor. You just seen someone who had been through the hell that you had been through and therefore you were connected. And I think it's also helpful to remember in the 80s, I was a behind the scenes grunt worker. I was not an inspirational leader. I was not a visionary. I was a struggling guy just trying to keep my head above 
water. That's me too, Kendra. I'm just keeping my head above water. But go ahead. And so much of what I experienced was a respect based on the relationship that we all had. That um, and our general, we were serious about building a multicultural organization. We thought if anyone could really bring down those walls of hatred and division, we were the group who were going to do it. And um, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask a question. But I you know, I, I'm skirting around the issue. I really want to know. I, I don't want to hijack the question, but. My generation wants to know how in the hell did you guys come up with this executive directorship that one person would have all this empirical power and it would be a man? What the fuck's wrong with y'all? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, well, Teddy, uh, you go ahead so, and answer that question. Uh, well, 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 first of all, you're 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 the fourth because Calvin Gibson also African-American uh, man, uh, served as the board president when, when I served as executive director. And that was one, of the, most, my narrative. <laughs> one of the most cherished partnerships um, I ever had in my life. Uh, we worked so closely uh, together. Um, and um, yeah, the executive directorship, well, the, the organization, it, people think the executive director has far more power than they really do. I, I always felt more 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 of myself as an arranger to create the architecture. I was I was the one that with the board together we would build this clothes rack, for want of a better word, and then the community would come and hang their garments on it. And so it was always you know the, the whatever the, the the year was, it always reflected the mood of the community, um, and um, and some years. That was more overtly political. Other years, more overtly celebrational and political. Um, but um, what I what I got to do, uh, one of the one of the other things I got to do as the executive director was to survey the audience over many years. Um, and, and what we found was really really interesting was that most people came to Pride because it gave them the sense and the fulfillment of community about, and that was their number one reason, but almost everybody put, you know, politics rated it highly. So it might not have been their number one reason for being there, but it was certainly part of what they felt they were expressing um, being there. So I didn't, I didn't want to dodge uh, Ken's question. Uh, You'll have to ask the committee that hired me, why they hired me. It's still, <laughs> still a, a huge mystery to me why you would hire someone completely. Or, well, the, the uh, joke we used to have was that no one in San Francisco would take the job. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they had to find someone from uh, outside. I came, obviously, from, from London. But it was, it was the, uh, an amazing experience, you know, to, to be able to bear witness to the community unfolding is, and, and from that vantage point where all roads intersect, as, as uh, Michelle was saying, and cross a pride is just such a rare uh, and beautiful experience. 
and, and, you know, there's so much Ken talked about not being a visionary. I would push back on that and say, yes, you all were. And I, I always tell our board, you know, we don't get to have a physical pride, but it does give us an opportunity to start remaking what pride is going to look like um, for the next 50 years. That to me, that's one of the values of having, having virtual pride. I believe, I believe virtual pride will go on, you know, once we're back physically together, there will still be a virtual pride that people from across the pond can still participate in. Which leads us to another question from the public, which says, and I'm going to direct this to you, Michelle, what are the dangers and opportunities presented by not having an in-person pride parade and celebration? Is there any upside? I'm guessing that this question is, uh, you know, it's it's for the now. Uh, I mean, we're in this situation because of pandemic, and we need to understand and realize that and accept it. Um, there's, at least in my lifetime, I haven't I haven't experienced something like this where I can get sick uh, in this way and, 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 you know, experience all kinds of health situations. And so we're not, we're not in this situation because we can control it so much, but I will say that the a few things that worry me personally about not having the ability to, to gather period for LGBTQ people is the the isolation that some of us might be experiencing and uh, and that is of course thinking of the most vulnerable of us i mean people you know if we think about 2020 we think about coming out now sure it might be easier to do that even through social media um and your peers might think that it's not that big of a deal but when you're also sheltering in place or in a an environment that you really can't be yourself and i know every single lgbtq people knows what this is like. I feel like I know, I actually, I know this, every single one of us, you know, has another of us, if that makes a lot of sense. We put forward a whole new different person in different um, environments that we're in, because not all the time can we be super authentic. Those are the the types of dangers that I think about, like you could be young, you could be old, you could um, be LGBTQ, and if you're in a space and you're forced to be in a space right now that's unsafe, um, those are the people that I worry about the most. And, you know, a lot of times when people in community are talking about what we're experiencing right now, and I, I've seen it in so many different graphic images, they always relate it to Pulse and they relate it to, of course, the the AIDS crisis of the 80s. And I've seen a, a lot of our, you know, elders talk about we, we've been down this road. I know Ken talked about it at the top of the show, you know, we're a population of folks who've been down the road where the government doesn't know what to do or knows what to do rather and chooses to ignore what's going on in our community. So we know what it is to be resilient in that moment. Um, a viewer asks, what does each panelist think pride will look like in 10 years? And what do you think it should be like in 10 years? I probably should have saved that one to the end of the show, but we'll do it now. Jacqueline, <laughs> what do you think pride will be like in 10 years or what should it be like in 10 years? I think that's for our community to decide. I really like the analogy about the clothes rack and I really uh, resonate with that too, that our job as the organizers is to put up the infrastructure and let everyone else fill in the blanks. Like we're just our own people but everyone makes up pride together. It's the San Francisco community. It's our global guests. Everyone that shows up to that event is who makes it. It's not just any one person, the president or the board or whoever. So I think in 10 years, you know, who's going to be the hot 
music star, what's going to be the viral dance trend. Like that's, what's going to be there because we just reflect what's going on with the times and what's important now. So I I don't know what's going to go on in 10 years, but I trust that we're going to show up looking fabulous. In 10 years, hmm, in, in 10 years, I'm only going to brunches. I'm, I don't know if I'm coming to the, to the festival. Michelle, what do you think Pride will look like in 10 years? Yeah, you know, thanks for this question, whoever wrote it in, because um, you're always constantly thinking about the, the short-term and the long-term vision when you're in this, this movement. Uh, I want to go back to, like, saying there was a question that Carolyn had asked, you know, what do you regret most? I think for me, I regret not not tapping into my radical bone as much as I really wanted to. And a part of that was because we were restricted to an infrastructure that had already been in place and adhering to, you know, what a 501c3 is, is, uh, and how it's supposed to process, but and not saying that that's a bad thing, because in fact, if we didn't have those things in place, we would not have been able to get through the legal situation that we were in. And that's all I'm going to say here without getting too much into it. But, um, you know, then it, then then we realized that uh, in order to protect ourselves, we needed we needed to have certain things in place. Um, so, with that being said, if I were to think about what Pride looks like in ten years, and that obviously is uh, after this pandemic, I truly believe that you know, as LGBTQ people, uh, because we have been through all of these hard fought battles that have impacted our lives, whether that's war whether uh, it was a different epidemic, whether it was living, you know, as um, illegal or legal or, or, or having died just for, you know, being who we are. I think that we'll be leading the entire world in what a new world might look like. And I think it might be our opportunity and our chance to get back to our radical roots. Let's face it. I mean, the world needs a revolution. Mother Earth needs a revolution. Um, uh, this country and, and, and going back to what I regret most, um, in 2017, when a president was inaugurated for this country, uh, we had opportunities to really go out there and protest. The women's March did an incredible job, but four years later, I'll tell you, this administration has done incredible, incredible harm, not just to our country, but I think, you know, around the world. So I, I think that there will be a huge, big piece of the radicalism that comes back in, you know, the, in the next 10 years of our pride movement, um, combined with all the other great stuff about it, which is our celebration um, and our individuality and uh, our will for equal rights for everyone around the world. All right. Same question to you, Teddy. What do you think pride will look like in 10 years? Thanks for the question, whoever, whoever put it to us. And thank you for the answers um, that I've heard so far. Um, you know, I, I, pride is a, is a tradition that goes back to the earliest of, of times because it's always been important for people to gather and to celebrate in festival. And pride is a continuation of that tradition. Of course, it means a lot more. It means about inclusion. It means about celebration of difference. But at its core, it's where we get together and we celebrate as human beings together. And every community needs a central celebration and pride is ours. And I agree with what Michelle was saying, you know, even before the election that happened in 2016, this country was heading towards a moment. 
and 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 we could all feel it. And then there was this like, oh my god, what just happened? Right? It's like someone is coming with the birthday cake and trips, and the birthday cake goes everywhere. That's how that's how it felt to me, anyway. Um, and so I still think about this period in history as an aberration, as a as a blip in a trend towards greater liberation, greater greater acceptance, and and, and greater um, celebration of difference, because it's about more than just acceptance. Um, and so I think pride's going to play a really critical role in that, both 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 in terms of of, of um, continuing that spirit, flourishing in the in the outburst of it again, and being the leader of what pride does best, which is shows everyone else that no matter your differences, it's possible to get together and get along. And that's really at the core of what I think that we have to give the rest of the world is that example. Okay. Kim Jones, what, what do you think that pride will look like in 10 years? Well, I was hoping you weren't going to ask because I really don't have a clue. Uh, I know that my heart gets very heavy when I kind of think of what I'm witnessing about what they've done with my movement. I'm still hung up on this thing about Stonewall was not a riot, and it disturbs me to hear people use riot in the same phrase as what happened at Stonewall. Stonewall was a night that people just got tired and said, no fucking more. A riot is when you leave your home and you know you're going to go somewhere and cause havoc. Mm. That was not our experience. We are a gentle, loving people. Those are the roots that I brought to this movement. And when I hear words like riot, it's like, but it was not a riot. We we don't want to celebrate the riot. It wasn't technically a riot. But we celebrate this event. It's important to us. And I don't know what the future brings as a result of, and I was just thinking about this last night, our new ER. It's about economic recovery. Mm-hmm. This is where we're going to find all the healing that we need right now is in this new ER. And I don't know what it means when these food bank lines don't go away, when the deaths don't stop. How do we define the movement in the midst of all that? I don't know. But... uh I'm getting old and it may not be an issue for me very much longer. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. kind of joshing, but I am 70. <laughs> You've been working in this community a long time. And that's what sometimes when I tell folks, you know, I have the, the, the lucky fortune to have been around folks who have been doing this work for so long. And I, I really appreciate you know, the way that you stand in the gap for us so many times in these community conversations. Can you all still hear me? Yep. Can. You can still hear me? Okay, then I'm going to keep on going. We have another question from the public. There you all are. 
What is your biggest moment of joy when you were leading SF Pride? I'm going to ask this to just two folks because we're starting to run short on time. We have so many questions. I want to get through all of them. I'm just going to give this one to Jacqueline. What was your biggest moment of joy? I mean, I, I saw you enjoy running down the street on CBS with a pride flag on your back, but was that really your biggest moment of joy? <laughs> oh man, that was really exceptional. Michelle was doing the broadcast with Donna Sachet and I got interviewed and I had to catch up to the crew so I had a trans flag on my back I was running down the street and you could see me on the broadcast running and that was pretty exceptional however I share that moment by myself I think as far as joy it's when I look around especially at the main stage probably because it's the easiest to see the most amount of people um when you just feel this overwhelming experience of being surrounded by people experiencing a joyful day I know when I was the president every time someone interviewed me I said we need to all stand up for each other we need to be all saying black lives matter and we all need to be here and living in joy is an act of resistance for LGBTQ communities so I think every year it's been at the main stage because it's kind of the end of the day. We've sort of gotten through it. It's almost there. It's almost cleanup time. Those are the moments where you just look around and you're like, wow, we did this. We brought all these people together. And that is, there's really not even words. I tried, but there's not even words. I am not on the panel, but I will say that my biggest moment of joy being with the organization was going out on the main stage for the first time and just seeing all those folks and like taking a selfie with all those people and being able to go back and say, hey, the whole city of San Francisco is like literally standing behind us. And also twerking when um, Marla Negra was on. That was a moment of joy. That was a moment of joy. Um, another question. This comes from our executive director, Fred Lopez. Ooh. What is it? What is so special about San Francisco Pride. I mean, you have Pride all over the world at this point. What is so special about San Francisco-specific Pride? This one is going to be, I'm going to do another go around for everybody on this one. I'm going to start with Teddy. What's so special about San Francisco Pride? Oh, wow. I've, I've been to been to several others. Um, one of the things that's special about San, well, about San Francisco is that the the queer community in San Francisco is such a high percentage of the total population. So when Pride happens in San Francisco, the whole city celebrates. Um, and also people people live here for a reason. People like me came to San Francisco because I wanted to be in San Francisco because I love, I cherish um, a diverse community. It's not just a, a buzzword or a box to be checked. It's in my DNA and it's in everyone's DNA in this city. And so when, when the city celebrates that, it's, you can, you can almost reach out and touch it in a way that you can't touch anywhere else. And, and I think, you know, um, we, we, we heard before about that, that feeling that you get just looking out at the audience. You know, I've looked out at audiences at other Pride events, but at San Francisco, it is it is palpable. You can feel, you can feel the love. That's what makes it special. Okay. Michelle, what the heck is so special about San Francisco Pride? Man, everything. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Everything. The fact that it's a small 
staff and uh, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that it's free and the donations that you give at the door goes to over 60 partner organizations ranging from, you know, pet adoptions to uh, senior citizens of our, our community. Uh, and, and also I should mention millions of dollars that goes back to the community, um, the elected leaders to, uh, you know, kids who get on the train to come and be a part of it. Uh, it truly is, in my opinion, at least, you know, one of the most diverse pride organizations around the world. But at the end of the day, the, the heritage, the, the, you know, just talking about 50 years, the heritage and the fact that the volunteers and all the people who come together truly want to make it accessible for everyone to be a part of our joy. I'm good. Hold that thought about heritage. We're going to come back to that. Jacqueline, what do you think is so special about San Francisco Pride? I'm going to quote Jimi Hendrix and say, I'm going to wave my freak flag. And I think that's what San Francisco does. <laughs> a lot of freaks in San Francisco Pride. Like, we just show up authentic. Like, with all our authenticity, we get loud. We just show up with exactly who we are. And I think San Francisco's known for that for years. So that's why I think we do it so well. Brother Ken Jones, what's so special about San Francisco Pride? What if I said nothing? And I would say nothing because that spirit that we feel in San Francisco, I feel when I march with the people in Palm Springs. There's a certain authenticity, a certain rawness, a certain passion that we all feel in our hometowns when we can walk down that street and not be murdered. There's a certain, even when I'm in the Hayward Parade or the Oakland Parade, there's something about us being together, feeling safe, and celebrating the togetherness. Okay. Uh I wanted to come back to you, Michelle. I told you to hold the thought about heritage, and I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were president when the three-year theme arc was created. Is that right? Yes, when it was created. That's correct. So what was the, why is there a three-year theme arc? And what was the thinking of the different different things? So generations of strength, generations of hope, and I'm missing a generation. This year is hope strength i'm missing one someone will say it in the chat why did why did you all come up with the three-year theme generations of resistance resistance yes resistance was the first one yes so as a matter of fact yes you both were on the board so what was the what was the thinking on the board why did you all decide to do a three-year theme i know it was originally proposed by pride member larry lar nelson but what was the what was the idea that made you all say this is the right thing for us to do, knowing that it was going to lead us into the 50th anniversary. Jacqueline, do you want to start? <laughs> well, my memory is foggy as far as exactly why, but I know that the, there's strength in it because pride to us, the organizers, is more than just showing up one weekend in June. It's about 365. It's about weaving it all together. It's about being impactful. So that gave us an opportunity. Um, The wordplay was great. 
to really build on something and tie the years together and work our way up to 50, which is a significant milestone. And I'll add to that. Um, there's also a lot of focus on ensuring that we really reach into our, um, you know, elder community and looking back at all of the folks who have done so much for our movement and make sure that that was part of the narrative, part of the story. Um, San Francisco Pride does a, a theme every year and it changes. And sometimes, you know, you, you focus on one thing and, and not look at it from a whole. We also were looking at it from the perspective of knowing that the city wanted to be, uh, they wanted it to be this big, huge deal. I'm almost going to cry because we're here and we thought, you know, doing planning three years up to the 50th to have this huge celebration, like the entire city shut down, you know, God celebrating the 50th. Uh -huh. like that, I just want you to know that's what that's. Yeah, that was what we were envisioning, you know, three years ago with the, from the airport to the BART stations or the muni stations to, um, you know, every single part of San Francisco. We wanted it to be about the 50th year anniversary of San Francisco Pride. And I'll add one thing. Hope was chosen for this year, 2020, because it was, it's an election year. And we wanted to really um, bring the spirit of Harvey Milk uh, out and, and, um, and, you know, take his words and his spirit of hope and hope that, <laughs> that, that in 2020, you know, everything will get better. Uh, so it's very sad that um, 2020 is is here, but at the same time, I mean we're in this together. Like you know, this hour that I'm sitting here with you all, I have a lot of hope, and I am admitting and accepting the fact that we probably needed this change, as Teddy had said. And so that so that is the hope, right? <laughs> that that it's is like, the hope. Yeah, you know, we talk about that before we made the the decision to go ahead and at least cancel the physical part we talked about the hope we talked about the hope of being the ones to open up the city yeah you know get let's get Gloria Gaynor and we're gonna sing I will survive and it's gonna be great um and then when it started to dawn and said you know this is gonna go on for a long time we started really thinking about this is an opportunity to go back to, to you know to ground zero you know, to really remake this, this organization. So um, I'm going to ask this to our, our two, we'll say senior members of our panel. You know, there have been times when pride has been criticized for, we talked about, you know, corporations in the, in the parade. Um, we know that our mayor loves to talk about how this is her favorite event of the whole year in the city of San Francisco, which kind of, you know, is a lightning rod to how much city hall and other elected leaders support pride. So are we, there are people who may think that we're at a point where pride is just like too accepted now. It's like too like vanilla, what they might say, you know, it's just like a thing. It's not something that's necessary because now everyone quote unquote accepts us. I mean, a member of the media asked me what I thought that the forefathers would think of us now. And I said, I hope that they are proud of us, but I want to ask you all, and I'm going to start with Ken first. When you look at Pride now, when you look at how we are, you know, supported by City Hall, we're supported by corporations. How do you, do you feel Pride or do you, how do you feel? And I know that's a big question that you can go on for two hours for. But... Well, I, I, I just marvel in Pride. And I do keep my eyes really focused on everything you're doing. I try to keep my mouth shut. For the most part, I, I see, I see you sometimes on social media. I, be, I say, thank you for the skin, <laughs> and I just don't. <laughs> but um, the one 
thing that I would pass as a suggestion is it's so important how you work together, what your process is for working together, that you can spend some time being silly and goofy together and remember what that feels like when you come to the decision-making table. I think for us, that decision-making table was very easy because we did know, love, and trust each other. And so there's a natural movement for consensus. Everything that we did just kind of naturally led to a consensus. We had our our moments as well. And for us, the big one was whether or not we would allow the, uh, what was the name of the group? The old men and the young boys. What is it, Teddy? NAMBLA. NAMBLA, the National Association. And whether or not we were going to allow them to march in the parade. And it was a big discussion for us because we wanted everyone to march in the parade. That's that's an important point. I know I, I spoke with someone the other day and we, you know, kind of what you said about inclusion and exclusion, Jacqueline and, and Michelle, about sometimes in inclusion, there are folks that you know just really aren't there for you. So that, and that's, those are hard decisions to make. What about you, Teddy? When you look at Pride as it is now in 2019, what are some of your thoughts about, you know, do you feel pride that that's something you were part of? Do you feel pride of what you are seeing in Pride? What do you feel when you see Pride now? Um, I, 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 I feel grateful to have been a custodian uh, together with others over a period of time. And I have a tremendous debt of gratitude to those that came before and those that follow. Um, I think that the, each, each pride board wrestles more or less with the same issues. Um, and I have the greatest of respect, you know, for, for pride as it is now, pride as it was then. Um, you know, in 1972, there were, there were the first reports of, of, of the parade being too commercial. That shocked me when I read it the first time. And then I thought, actually, it doesn't, because that's that's just one of the eternal issues that that is at the center of pride. But, you know, pride evolves. I like to think of what, what we do in San Francisco as a beacon, because you can go 10 miles that way, and it's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. You know, we are fortunate to have the support that we get from all areas of our, our city, um, but I also would like those people to remember that it's the LGBTQQI Pride Parade. Um, and, and that when they participate, either as a city department or as an elected official, they are our guests and we are, we are grateful to have them with us, but they are our guests and this parade is about our community. Okay. Well, I know we have only a couple of minutes left. I'm going to ask a, a a fun question to end the broadcast. Michelle, what are you going to do for virtual pride? I, like, I mean, we haven't, we're not announcing until next week what virtual pride is. But outside of that, how are you celebrating pride this year alone together? Separate together? Oh, you mean personal? You say you don't mm-hmm. want me to talk about any of the other stuff. Right? None of the other stuff, Michelle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, personally, okay. Uh, uh, it's a fun question because I'll be celebrating pride by, um, doing 
well, still participating in the production and organizing of Pride celebrations, even if it's a virtual experience. But um, can't I, you know, it's so hard to answer that because what else am I going to be doing? Of course, I'm going to be involved in the organizing and production of that. Just say, just say, I'm going to be involved, and you'll find out later. Maybe I shouldn't have asked you this question. Well, look, look, I'll say this. You know what? I had plans to be in New York for, you know, 2020 Pride because it was the first year that I was going to be like, no more San Francisco Pride. Carolyn's going to do, you know. You see the look on my night. Go ahead. But, but, and it was because I wanted to, I really wanted to show, you know, my wife what other Prides look like uh, in other than San Francisco. And she moved here from Thailand. So I think we'll just, we'll just tune in to all the virtual Prides from around the world. <laughs> You know, Jacqueline, I mean, this is an interesting question for you because you and your wife take a very active role in the parade. I don't think I'm able to say what that is, but you do. So what are you all going to be doing to celebrate Pride? Is Well, I'm definitely going to be You won't playing. be doing that thing that you do. What's that? Well, I'm <laughs> playing some Bay Area slaps, that's for sure, holding it down locally. Um, but I'm going to make my money talk too. And I encourage everyone watching to remember that their money talks and this is generations of hope. Our whole globe is having economic hurt right now. And the LGBTQI community, the black community, people of color really need help. Like we need, this whole movement is all about lifting each other up so we can live in joy together we do need to do that now. It's it's a new reason that we weren't really expecting, but um, I hope that we can all continue to support each other that way. And that's that's what I'll be doing. All right, Teddy, what will you be doing this year during Virtual Pride? Um, I think you know, for for me at my 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 stage of of life, it's become one continuous parade. So every day is my pride day. I live authentically um, and without, you know, apology to anyone. So business as usual. All right. Brother Ken Jones, what are you going to do this year for virtual pride? Absolutely nothing. I'm sitting in the corner smoking and being a spoiled brat that my holiday has been fucked up. So I'm not doing jack. that's fair that is fair i thought about that and then i remembered oh i'm the president of san francisco pride i can't do that well i do want to thank you all for taking your time to speak with me i'm I'm so excited that i got to do this president and executive director circle you know you've really inspired me as a president with no physical pride but now i understand how important the spirit of pride is you know, how important, even if we're not at, at City Hall, we're still together and how important that history is going forward. So I'm encouraged by that. I, I do also want to make sure that we take a minute to acknowledge the hundreds of volunteers and extended and extended staff members who make Pride happen. We definitely, you know, love and support you. We want to make sure that we acknowledge a lot of these nonprofits who normally participate in Pride. We definitely see you and we're going to be doing our best to try and figure out how we can continue to support you. I want to acknowledge all the San Francisco Pride staff that made this happen. Happy birthday, Suzanne. Thank you to all of our sponsors. 
And, you know, for me, this is the beginning of Pride. So happy Pride, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Woo woo.